Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. But tonight's lesson is another Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now this is Paul speaking, but truly it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul and saying that I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because you have been engaged to Christ, and I want to be able to present you to Christ as faithful, as a chaste virgin. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, which is cunning, craftiness, intelligence, trickiness, to your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. If he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. In other words, you might take it, you might receive it, you might swallow it, you might get taken in by that. So Paul is saying that it is possible for people to come and preach to you Jesus, but it's not the biblical Jesus. It's another Jesus. It is possible to preach a gospel that isn't the gospel of Jesus. It's not the biblical gospel. You can be deceived just like Eve was deceived by the snake. Why? Because the snake quoted scripture. The snake spoke God's words, but he twisted it. He brought doubt and question about what was said. When they're preaching, when somebody comes to you with another Jesus or another gospel, it'll give you a little bit of truth, but it'll pervert it. And so there's a warning here that there is another Jesus. So we're going to go to Acts 13, starting in verse 6. And this is the verse that God directed me to when he started this. Acts 13, verse 6 says, And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. All right, who is this Bar-Jesus? It says he was a sorcerer. He worked in witchcraft and divination. He was a false prophet. He gave prophecy, but not by the Holy Spirit. He was a Jew, and his name was Bar-Jesus. Now, when I looked up the name, in the Jewish language, the name simply means son of Jesus. Bar means son, right? So son of Jesus. So on the surface, you think, he's a child of God. We're all children of God. His name is son of Jesus. I mean, come on, he's a child of God. But when you look into it further, it was of Chaldean origin. Jew on the surface, but what was the bloodline? There was another bloodline in operation there, and it was Chaldean. This was the name that God brought to my mind, and he told me to look it up. So we have to go a little deeper to figure out what's the significance of this bar Jesus, this other Jesus. And to do that, we have to investigate the Chaldeans a little bit, because this was his lineage. Paul was warning that there are enemies trying to deceive you. They're trying to outsmart you. They're trying to pervert the truth so that it can overthrow you. They are trying to win you with head knowledge and with lies, with a form of godliness, but denying the overcoming power thereof. In other words, they have lots of words, but no demonstration or no fruit. This is how the Chaldeans worked. If you jump down to verse 40 in that same uh, chapter, Chapter 13, verse 40, we get a little bit of a hint. Paul continues the warning by saying, Beware, therefore, 
lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers and wanderers and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declared it unto you. Okay, Paul is actually quoting an Old Testament prophet right here. It's an old prophecy, Habakkuk. There's a reason he's quoting Habakkuk. Because the prophecy in Habakkuk is about the Chaldeans. And this man, whom a few verses earlier he had to deal with, claiming to be working for Jesus but wasn't, was a Chaldean. He was a Jew, but he had Chaldean heritage. And there was a warning there. Because God had given a warning about the Chaldeans throughout history. Now it's important to note that at the time he spoke this, the Chaldeans didn't exist anymore. They had already been wiped out. He wasn't talking about physical Chaldeans. He was talking about the spirit. So in the same manner that we look up the spirit of, the spirit of Balaam, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Elijah, there is the spirit of the Chaldeans. And so because of the reference, go ahead to Habakkuk 1 verse 4. I'm giving you a little background. This is um, common teaching this is common knowledge. This is not some like revelation from us. So I'll just let you know that this is teaching and this is something that you can even find in a lot of the concordances, this parallel. That biblically and historically, the Chaldeans in the New Testament represented demons. It represented evil spirits because the Chaldeans had been wiped out, but their spirit had not. So in Habakkuk 1.4, which is where he was quoting this from, it says, therefore, the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doeth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. All right, so the prophet was saying that because Israel is slacked, they don't obey the word and the will of God. And because the wicked outnumber the righteous, there's all, nothing but wrong judgments going forth. Wrong beliefs, wrong decisions, wrong actions. It might be something in the manner that we feel the frustration of, well, because there's so many false prophets and false teachers and false preachers and false churches that the word of God is perverted and it just wrong judgments are going out everywhere. This was a judgment that was being given from God through the prophet because this was true in Israel. It continues to say that because these things are happening, behold, ye among the heathen and regard... And wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told to you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful, their judgment and their Dignity shall proceed of themselves. So the full prophecy that Paul was warning them about, you got to look at the context. They were listening to this false prophet. They were buying into this other Jesus, this other doctrine, this other gospel. And he tells them, beware, be careful, unless the warning that was given by Habakkuk come upon you. And this is the warning, that God will allow the Chaldeans to come and to overtake you. They are a people that searches to inhabit a place that is not theirs, to dwell in a place that is not their own. In other words, you're going to get possessed. You're going to be taken over by these spirits. Your church is going to be taken over. Your pulpit's going to be taken over. You are going to be taken over. Beware. Because he wasn't talking about physical Chaldeans. They were already gone at this point. He was talking about spirits. You can look at the characteristics of the Chaldeans First of all, they inhabited dwelling places that were not their own. That's what evil spirits do. That's also what the spirit of Antichrist does, which is what this false prophet was trying to do. Remember, it's another Jesus. He was trying to inhabit a pulpit that was not his own, a church that was not his own, a doctrine that was not his own, so it could take over a people that was not his own. They were bitter. They were vile. They were very cunning, subtle, and intelligent. The last part says that their judgment shall proceed from themselves. They were self-willed. They will not humble themselves to the will of God. They want to abide by their own will, so they're going to twist the doctrine to make it apply to their will. 
They try to take possession of territories that are not their own. For this reason, it is taught that the Chaldeans are an archetype in the New Testament for demonic spirits. So it does apply. But I say that it also applies by proxy to a type for when God turns a people over to a false teacher after their own lust because they have rejected the truth, though God manifestly demonstrated it to them. When God demonstrates the truth, when he manifests the truth, because God will speak the truth, but he will always back it up with demonstration. He will do things in your life that will prove that this is what he's saying. And then somebody with that spirit, that other Jesus will come and they'll give you their idea, their doctrine, and it's going to please your flesh and it's going to be the easy way and it's going to make you be able to step out of the fight and rest. And if you choose to take that way, you're, got, you're literally opening yourself up to this curse where God says, because remember, nothing can happen unless God gives it right or authority anyway. The devil can't even overtake you unless God gives access. And this is where God is saying, this is what allows a person who once knew the truth, who once was saved to be overtaken by evil spirits. You know, we wonder how can Christians be overtaken? This is definitely a clear way that they can. When God brings you to a revelation and a demonstration of the truth, but we choose to follow another Jesus or believe another doctrine, he turns us over to the Chaldeans and they will inhabit dwelling places that are not their own. This is the danger of false doctrine because they would rather give up God's territory to that which it does not belong to than to obey his will and live justly and righteously demonstrating the power of God over the enemy when you walk in God's will you demonstrate the power of the kingdom over the enemy when you walk in righteousness and justice when you walk in holiness when you take a stand to believe what he said and let God back that up with his power you are demonstrating the kingdom yes when the sick are healed and the lost are saved and the possessed are delivered that demonstrates the kingdom but when you live a holy righteous life that demonstrates the kingdom much much more because that's the lot people believe that God heals there may be some who, who argue that maybe he doesn't do that anymore, but they still pray for the sick. So inside, they do believe that he heals. There are people that believe that God can cast out devils. There are people that believe that he can save anyone, even if in their heart they really think that some people are out of reach. But there's the biggest problem is that most people don't really believe that the power of God is stronger than sin and temptation. That's the demonstration that is needed more than anything else. And when you live that out with your life, it is a demonstration of the gospel. That's how you become witnesses. That is your witness. The Chaldeans were known for their intelligence. They were known for cunningness and craftiness. And in fact, if we had continued to read in Habakkuk, which we won't, but if you continue to read, there were verses that compared them to wolves, the wolves in sheep's clothing, hint, hint. That, and it also talks about their cunningness. Throughout scripture, they were known, they were synonymous with wise men. They were known to be very, very wise, wise as serpents. Uh, they were quick-witted. They were sharp-minded. They were smart, tricky, and very subtle. They were known for their ability to influence others. These were the characteristics of the Chaldeans that you can take out of different stories that we don't have time to read through but they all apply to the characteristics of the devil, of evil spirits also. They were known for their ability to influence others. Now, Chaldeans were Babylonian, and we're going to touch on that, but they were so known for their book smarts and their craftiness and their cunningness that sometimes in the ancient world, it was a term that was synonymous for a person who was well-educated or high class. They would be like, oh, that's a Chaldean, even if they weren't of Chaldean bloodline, but they, they longed after that that affluence. They valued carnal knowledge, affluence, and influence. It was Chaldeans that influenced Nebuchadnezzar to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. So when you go through that story and he was trying to be obedient to God, and then there were those others that came up and, and tricked and influenced, they were Chaldean. It's kind of representative of that devil in, in Nebuchadnezzar's ear. Nebuchadnezzar himself was Chaldean. And if you remember, he's the king that set up the golden image and said that you have to worship this or be killed. So in that instance, he was a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. 
which plays into that, that Chaldean evil spirit, Antichrist spirit. All right, Chaldeans were Babylonian. Specifically, it was a sect in the southern region of Babylon, but they overtook all of the surrounding areas, including Babylon. So at one point, all the Babylonians were considered Chaldean. Um, go to Revelations 18, verse 2, which says, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Talking about Babylon. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sin, and that ye receive not of her plagues. All right, now this is a spiritual Babylon that exists in the end times, the times of tribulation. And it's saying that because she's so guilty of all of these things, which the Antichrist spirit has been guilty of throughout history, but that this system will be guilty of in the last days, He's telling, there's a voice from heaven saying to my people, come out of her, lest you be partakers of her plagues. Now this reminds me of Balaam. As long as the people were wholly set apart and obeying the voice of God, they were protected. But when they went into this other religious system and began to partake of it, they began to eat the food sacrificed to the idols there. They began to dance in the other church and be part of this other religious system then they were susceptible to the plagues and the judgments that came on that system. So if God is going to judge a false religious system and you are in agreement with it or participating with it, then you receive the judgment also. So God was crying out, be separate, come out from a moment, make yourself separate and holy and obey my voice so that you can be protected from the judgment that's going to come upon it. This is his cry in Revelations, but it's his cry that applies throughout History, and we know that from the story of Balaam, because they partook, they also partook of the judgment. So in that sense, we can look at Babylon as a false church system. It is a worldly, sin-friendly church who kills the real prophets of God and worships the false prophets working through the Antichrist Baal spirit. This is the other Jesus. You can look at it in the... Jezebel's story, she killed the prophets of God to set up the false prophets. It was another Jesus. It's to take the place of the real church. And really, if you look through Revelations, all of the churches in Revelations that God was saying, you've done this right, but you did this wrong, all of the things that they did wrong kind of ties back to this, that other Jesus, that perversion that gets in there and twists the truth. It's not a completely separate doctrine. It's just enough perverted in the real doctrine to take people off course and make them susceptible to the plagues of the judgment that comes on the wicked. Guilty by association. Remember in the passages that we started with, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, he said, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I want to present you a holy bride, chaste, a virgin unto the Lord. In other words, not unfaithful, not being associated with these other lovers. And when a church or a people or a person individually comes into agreement with another doctrine or another spirit or another Jesus, which, you know, an incarnation of Jesus that doesn't line up with scripture, it's cheating on God and it breaks the Holy Spirit's heart because you're telling the Holy Spirit, I don't believe you, I don't trust you, I reject you for this truth because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth and now you're saying you're not truth, this is the truth, that hurts the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit is turned away, we have to make a decision. Am I going to go with it, or am I going to choose these people? And sometimes the people that we love or the situations and circumstances that we love, we still love the people, but we have to ask ourselves if they're grieving the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has to go, I think I'm going to go with it. Because I don't want to be judged to say, you know what, I love this person more than I love the Holy Spirit. It's a hard situation. No bitterness on the person, pray and fast and war and intercede. But there's times when those decisions are made. A lot of people, I think, look at the Bible as a belief. 
an, an intangible thing. Well, I choose to believe this, so I'm okay. But the Holy Spirit is a person, a personality. He can get hurt. He can get grieved. He can have his feelings crushed. And we have to be sensitive to that. And if we truly love it and love him, then we need to go with him. We need to stand with him. We need to defend him. Of course, love and act in humility, but don't look at it as an intangible thing. This is my belief. This is your belief. This is my love, and his heart is broken. I'm not going to stay here and break it with you. I think because the Holy Spirit has become impersonal, and there's not a personal relationship, those people or that circumstance become more important because there is a relationship there. You know, and we have to love people, and, and I know y'all understand what I'm saying. There's a balance there. There's no bitterness, but we still have to choose God's side. And that's why he says to, to come out from among it and be separate unless you be partakers of its plagues. And so, you know, every circumstance is going to be different, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but we have to choose to take God's sides, or we will, in effect, bring that judgment on us which is what Paul was warning them of when he said, be careful, be cautious, unless what the prophet spoke of come upon you. In other words, God is going to release the Chaldeans on you. You will have no protection. You will partake in the plagues. Having said that, which is very gloom, gloom, because we probably all know people in that, that area, here is the hope. In my researching the Chaldeans, I found out something. Abraham was a Chaldean. So there is hope. His father was an idol maker from Ur in the land of the Chaldeans. Abraham was a Chaldean that met God and got saved. He was adopted and given a new land and a new family, a new kingdom all because he was willing to obey God's voice and come out from among it. Here's the key. He wasn't allowed to stay in the land of the Chaldeans. He had to trust God and follow him out. He had to come out from among it and be separate, but he was savable. So we have that hope, and we need to remember with those people that we do know, and sometimes God calls you to a time of separation, even in circumstances and situations, because there is an influence because there is a spirit there that Chaldean that that is cunning that is crafty that it knows doctrine or it's able to influence you you know and God calls you to have that separation to come out from among it and be separate but don't give up hope keep praying keep crying out because even Abraham started out as a Chaldean so it's not lost Matthew 12:50 says, "For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother." God was creating a family by taking Abraham out of the enemy's family and starting a new family. In God's eyes, what creates family? We've talked about it. Spirit, and we can even say blood because we have the blood of Jesus which makes us part of the family but also to have his spirit and to do his will. It says that if a person will do God's will, Jesus said, I will count them as my brother, my mother, my father. This is my family. So we look at Abraham who started out as part of this Chaldean family. God spoke to him. He loved him. He trusted him. He was willing to obey his will at all costs. And so God counted him a friend, and family, and Cain brought him out and started a whole new family with him. You can also kind of look at this, I kind of saw a parallel like in Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest. He was part of, we would might consider, the enemy's camp. It was wrong doctrine. It was everything that these Chaldeans and false prophets were. It was bar Jesus. It was another Jesus. But Martin Luther, who was Catholic, a priest, read the Bible believed God, decided to do his will, and was taken out of it and started a whole new <laughs> movement. So I kind of see that parallel that even if your whole family is against you, God will, is willing to pull you out of it. Even if your whole church is against you, God is willing to pull you out of it. Even if your whole nation is against you, God is willing to pull you out of it if you are willing to believe him and do his will. Think about it. 
do you want to know what Reformation is? Because, you know, Martin Luther started the Reformation. If you really think about it, Reformation is when the church gets born again. Reformation. Reformed. The church was born again, reformed. It was made new. It was the old church that was dead, born again into a whole new thing. You had the Protestant Reformation. It was a reformation of the old, just like us. We can be reformed into something new. That is, in the likeness of Christ. And you don't ever want to give up hope because the more we see things fall apart and the less you see things lining up with Scripture. And so I do want to bring a little hope because we've covered so much of Jesus' teachings and how much it doesn't really line up with the church. It can be kind of depressing, really. But if you think about it, God is always able to reform and make something new. It, It was impossible for Martin Luther. There was no other churches at that point. There might have been some people hiding in caves with scrolls, but it was a bold stance, but it wasn't over with. God reformed and brought something, birthed something new. And the church needs a reformation, so maybe we need to be praying, God, it's time to birth something new out of this dead religion that's preaching another Jesus. Put the truth in us, put the word in us, and we'll go out and preach it. Do what you have to do, but reform this thing. All right, go to Acts 7, verse 1. There you go, like clay in the potter's hand. What happens to us individually can happen to the church as a whole. And if he's got to break us down and reform us a couple of times, don't think that he won't have to do it to the church as a whole. Acts 7 verse 1 says, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeareth unto our father Abraham, And he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans. He came out of the land of the Chaldeans. Think of this as being born again. Think of this as being saved. You think of this as reformation. God told him, Come out of your land. And it says he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Sharon and from thence when his father was dead, when his father was dead, when his father was dead, he removed him into his land wherein ye now dwell. When Abraham's father was dead, when your old father the devil has died to you. He had to die before he could bring him into the new land. He told him, come out from your land. And it says, when his father was dead, then he brought him into the new land. So we have to be willing to let that relationship that we have with the devil, that you are of your father, the devil. Let it die. And then he will allow you to follow him into the land of promise. You have to let your old father, the devil, die before you can follow God into promise. All right, now take it back to Acts 13 where we started and go to verse 7. I'm going to show you something here. Actually, go back to verse 6 so we can read the one before it, and we'll go there. Okay, and when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. So there is no doubt that he was no good. He was preaching another Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, okay, now this is the same guy, Bar-Jesus. This is his name, another form of it. So probably in the Greek it was this, but anyway. But Elymas the sorcerer, which was the same guy, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So hold on there for a minute. The deputy who was a prominent man of the area, he wanted to know more about Jesus. He wanted to get into this. I see something here that's real. I see this demonstration. I want to be part of this. But this bar Jesus, this guy preaching this other Jesus, this false prophet, he comes in and he tries to persuade him away with his cunning words, his doctrine. No demonstration, but he's got a lot of talk. Trying to pull him away from the faith. He withstood the apostles. 
that name by translation, it means wizard or worldly wisdom. Now this is important. Go to the next verse. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. Now his name means son of Jesus. But Paul, full of the Holy Ghost, calls him out, you child of the devil. Remember that Abraham, though he was Chaldean, was redeemed from the Chaldeans when his father died. His father, the devil, was not dead to him. He was still serving him. And said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Mm. Talk about a demonstration. Backfired on him. He stood for the truth. He called out that spirit for what it was, and when they saw the power of the kingdom of God overpower this bar Jesus, this false Jesus, this other Jesus, they realized that it was fake and God was real. And very often we'll see that when people preach and teach another Jesus, there is no power to back it up. But when you start to preach the real Jesus, the kingdom of heaven comes to back it up with authority and with power. And those who are truly seeking will go towards the demonstration, even if it's only in your life. And they will turn away from the false. This is how you overcome the false Jesus, the false gospel, the false preaching. Now, there are those who will choose to follow it because that's just their heart and they don't want to walk the straight and narrow path. But those that are truly seeking the Lord, they will follow after the demonstration of the power, but to get there, you have to stand in boldness and faith and profess the real Jesus. If you're willing to preach the real Jesus, it will always overpower the false Jesus. The problem is, is that most of the time we just sit there quietly and keep it all shut up inside. So the false Jesus just keeps permeating and we sit and don't do anything about it. You'll be in a room of people and there'll be now, I'm not telling you go shake them and beat them and try to choke them because sometimes that's what you want to do. But we've got to be willing to speak the truth in love and stand the ground because that's really when it's going to come to. You've got to stand your ground on what God has put in you and what you know. And maybe sometimes it takes a little time for them to see it play out, but eventually they're going to see God stand for what you spoke and not stand for what they believed. He's going to bring it to a head some way or the other. He'll make them see it. But what's key here is that he didn't placate the counterfeit. And I think too many times we placate the counterfeits. In fact, that's what was spoken of many times with the churches in uh, Revelation. He said, you tolerated these things. I think too often we tolerate these things. And that's probably what grieves the Holy Spirit more than anything else. Is He's not expecting us to go out and, and flip tables, but he, he would want his bride to at least stand, stand, stand. Stand for the truth. Speak the truth. Take his side and just stand on it. We don't have to beat it into him, but we need to take a stand for it. Don't tolerate demons, powers, or principalities. Get filled with the real deal and it will expose the false. Stir up the gifts that are within you. Open your mouth and let the sword come out and it will slay every enemy. Nothing will expose and dispose a false Jesus but the real Jesus. Don't keep him pinned up inside. Let him out. Remember the devil is like a roaring lion. He's the counterfeit lion. But Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When a real lion roars, the fake can't compete or compare. You know the difference. I think of the story of a... Janice and Jambers, there's a verse in the New Testament 
where it talks about it actually might even be in this chapter, I'm not sure, but he says you do always resist like Janus and Jambers. Um, and Janus and Jambers were the two magicians in Egypt that when Moses would come up and do one of God's miracles, they would mimic it and do the same thing. They were counterfeits. But he kept demonstrating, and it got to a point where his demonstration overpowered their demonstration, and they could no longer compete. And at that point, everybody acknowledged that this God is real. The church down the street might be able to do the same thing you do. But if you keep pressing in and keep pressing in and keep pressing in, eventually God's going to move in a way that the counterfeit can't compete and people are going to start to see the truth. Don't give up after the first assignment or the second assignment. I think it was like the fourth plague before it got to a point where they couldn't copycat it anymore. It may not be the first move that, and then they, you know what I'm saying? It might take a while, but persist, press through, because maybe the first fruit they can counterfeit. The second fruit, they can copy that a little bit. Right. Eventually, you're going to hit something that their fake God did, couldn't do. And that's what happened with Janice and Jambers. Few things they could copy, but when they hit something that they couldn't do, they realized this kingdom is stronger. If you want to come down to it, and we really have to see it for what it is and treat it for what it is. The reason Paul didn't tolerate this counterfeit, the reason he was so bold against it and took his stand it's because in actuality, it's doctrines of demons. The Chaldeans, he warned them, the Chaldeans were synonymous with demons. This was a doctrine of demons. It was bar Jesus of the Chaldean origin, which was demonic. All the issues of the church in Revelation stemmed from this. They were all preaching another Jesus. They had started out right, and they had some things right, but in some areas... They had let in some other spirit that had perverted the true gospel and they were preaching another Jesus that wasn't the Jesus of God, of the gospel. You know, it talked about Balaam and it talks about Jezebel. It talks about the, the Nicolaitans. It was all doctrines of another Jesus. It was the Chaldeans. It was the doctrines of demons. And if you think about it, at the end of this chapter, when it's talking about all the different churches and how they've done some things right, but then they've done some things wrong. At the end of it, it says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we use that term for salvation, and it does apply. But really in context with what he was saying, he was standing at the door of the church trying to get in. And he couldn't because God will not share his glory with another. In actuality, he was standing at the door of the church knocking, waiting for the other Jesus to be kicked out so the real Jesus could enter in. He's not going to share his glory. It's the result of all these churches allowing another Jesus in one way or the other. It shuts the door. It locks Jesus out because he will not share his glory with another Jesus. And we wonder why the church is so powerless. It's not Jesus' church. You preach a powerless Jesus, then you are preaching another Jesus and you will have a powerless church. The blood is stronger than sin. The Holy Spirit is stronger than temptation. God is stronger than the devil. The kingdom of heaven is stronger than the world. And it's here now. If Jesus said it, I believe it, and nothing is going to change it. If it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not the gospel. It's not good news. For if anyone brings any other gospel, biblically, they are accursed. Don't let accursed things into your house. How much more should we not let it into the house of God? Second John 1, starting in verse 9, says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there came any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Is it really that serious? That one's hard. Don't even say God bless you. Don't agree with it in any form or fashion. That's, that's hard. It really is. It's serious. Go to Galatians 1, 6, and I think this is, I think this is going to kind of help us. These next two passages will help us to know why 
it's this serious. But Galatians 1.6 says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. In other words, it's not even another gospel because it's not good news. And would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you other than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So if anybody is preaching another Jesus that is not in alignment with the Jesus of Scripture, the Bible says he is accursed. Now pull up Deuteronomy 7.26 and we're going to see why they say don't even let it in your house. Even an angel. Even an angel. I got a word or a revelation. And don't want them with the Bible at all. Now in Deuteronomy 7.26 it says, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. So biblically, if you willfully bring a cursed thing into your house, then you become accursed by it, which is, I think, why Paul made the, the connection that you become partaker of. Now, having said that, I think we have to keep in mind that some people really don't know. And we have to be able to lovingly share the gospel of the truth. But there comes a point at which you know that the Lord has laid it out clearly and you know that the Lord has brought demonstration to prove what he said, but they still choose that other Jesus. There comes a point where you've got to shake it off. And that's a hard thing to do. Keep praying. God can humble. God can break. And, you know, there's a difference when a person doesn't know because we all didn't know at some point. God had to bring us into the knowledge. And he demonstrated things to us. He showed us personally in ways that only he could that what he was saying was truthful. But we're not special. He does that to everybody. And sometimes he'll use you to do that and have patience in that time. But there's going to come a point with some people that God's going to tell you they know, they've seen, they've rejected. Shake it off. And that's a hard thing. But it does happen. Jesus loved every. He brought him in. He gave him the truth, and he receive it or reject it. And and that's how we have to, we have to understand that we can we can give the truth, but there comes a point at which we know the truth has been given, and we know that it's been rejected, and that Chaldean is staying in your ear, and if you're not willing to shake it off, eventually, it's going to start influencing you. And I don't care how strong you are, if you keep it around long enough, something's going to get through. I've had people that I've had to shake off that I've ministered to and, and came to that point. And it's like, well, you know, we don't want to lose them, Lord. But I can see where even some of the things that they were saying were starting to get in. So we're starting to make me question. And God's like, shake it off. Shake it. You thought you were gaining ground? They're gaining ground. It's time to shake it off. Uh, in relation to what, what he said, too, something very cringeworthy is when I hear people say, Jesus hung out with sinners. No, he didn't. That statement, if you just pause, put it under a microscope, hear what that sounds like. Jesus hung out with sinners. No, he didn't. The scripture is clear what he did. He said that he preached unto them repentance. That's right. The association was there, but it wasn't, hey, how's it going? I'm JC. Yeah, that's cool, right? That's so blasphemous in my opinion. You know, yeah. like that, that's that mindset that these people have. And I'm like, no, yes, he put himself out there, but for a mission, it was to show them the way. Every time he went out there, it was to. Right. And as long as you're preaching and professing the truth, that's what Paul did. As soon as this spirit started to move, he called it out, he preached the truth. As long as you're preaching the truth, that's one thing. But if you're around this, and, and this is the danger of this mindset of, of friendship evangelism or, or 
you know, missionary dating or, you know, I'm, I'm going to work my way in. No, they're working their way in. If you can't boldly profess what you believe and what you know without it being hindered, or, or if, if you've got to come in through the back door, it's not the gospel. There's something wrong there. And we're all guilty. I've done it too, you know, trying to, to work your way in. It's very dangerous and you need to, if you can't profess the gospel without something coming to quench it, there's a snake, shake it off, you know, it's, you got to be careful with that. Love people, pray, but be willing to deliver the truth. Because if you're not speaking, the word of God isn't coming out. You're still hearing all that word is getting in. If you're not speaking, you have no reason to be there. Faith stirs faith, but doubt stirs doubt. And you can preach faith, but if you're going to sit there and listen to that doubt, it's going to get in eventually. This applies to a lot of things that need to be thrown out. Now, talking about going back to the accursed things. If anything accursed is in your house, willingly, I would say willingly that you know of, and we allow it, we agree with it, you actually partake in it. So this applies really to a lot of things. That's why we urge people when they get saved to clean out your house. And really multiple times through your faith as you grow, because there's things you're going to recognize now that you didn't recognize two years ago. Sometimes we have to go through our house and look for those accursed things and get rid of them. It's important. But how much more does it apply to doctrines of demons? We know that that movie needs to get thrown out. We know that sometimes those games and those books or whatever, that dragon poster on the wall or whatever it is that, that pricks your spirit that needs to be pulled out. But how much more doctrines of demons? How much does it grieve the Holy Spirit? I love... Um, in the Ten Commandments, uh, in that little series we were watching, he made the the reference to the Ten Commandments as a wedding vow. And he said, you know, the first one is God is like, love me more than anybody else. Have no other lovers. And then the second one was, don't even have images or statues or pictures of them in your house, you know. And then the third one is, take it, you know, don't take my name lightly. You're taking my name. It's like wedding vows. And when you think of it in the terms of God doesn't want you to have any other lovers, or any pictures of them or things that remind you of those lovers in your house. Why? Because like Paul said, I love you with a jealous love. I espouse you to myself. I want you chaste. So we have to look at it in the aspect of God as a person, a personality who can be hurt and offended by these things, not just a belief system. Well, I choose to believe this and you choose to believe this so we can still get along. It's not a belief system. I have a relationship and you're hurting my love. So I have to choose his side. First Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Take heed, because this is a prophecy, a warning that they will come to seduce you away. Paul preached Jesus, repentance, death, burial, resurrection, victory, and return. And envy stirred in the false because of the manifest power of the real. You'll see this over and over and over and over. Saul came after David because he was envious. Though It says that he knew that the Lord was with David and not with him. The Pharisees sought to kill Jesus, it says, for envy. And when the false see the real manifesting in you and in your life, they're going to attack. They're going to slander. They're going to hate you for it. Love them anyway. Shake it off. Pray but don't stay in it because the same people that are jealous of you are going to try to manipulate you to bring you down to their level because they want you to lose the power and the presence that you have. Though they may never say it, in their heart there is intent because there is envy because they know they don't have what you have. They want what you have, but they don't want to pay the price to get it. So we're going to close with going back to Acts 13 and we're going to finish that passage but go down to verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city. Okay, now this was after Paul had pronounced blindness on the false Jesus. 
the next Sabbath day came, the next church day, and almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul. They're going to do it to you. Doesn't matter. Stand for the truth. Contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. This is the key. This is the answer to that, that other Jesus. And we need some boldness. And said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you. In other words, you've heard it, but rejected it. And judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. You judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. Go one more. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So, this is sad and joyous. They were given the truth, but they refused the truth. That they didn't stay there and try to beat the truth into them. They said, okay, you were given it, you refused it, you rejected it, that's it, now we're moving on to somebody else. And the somebody else received the truth and were joyful and rejoiced. And the Holy Ghost came and filled them all the more. There's going to be times when you're going to have to put a lot of labor and a lot of work into people. And they're just not going to receive it. They may even seem like they receive it for a while, but in the end they go back to choosing this other Jesus, this other gospel, because it's easier. Shake the dust off. Don't let it put any hurt in you. Trust that God has a plan and he will still use you. And sometimes he's going to move you on to another person or another people or another group. And he will fill you all the more with the Holy Ghost Every trial that you go through, everything that seems like a failure will usually be followed by more power if you keep your faith through it. So stay the course. Keep praying. Don't get bogged down trying to beat the truth into somebody who's already refused it. Don't cast your pearl before swines. They'll get mad. They'll accuse you. They'll stir up all kind of people against you. They'll turn churches against you. They'll turn towns against you. Just move on to where the Lord leads and keep Preaching the truth. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.